Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bar Fights. We are back on this Monday with a really, really inspirational guest. You guys are not going to believe this story. And for those of you that watch all the sort of crime, you know, mystery, crazy stuff on Netflix, this is a story that you are not going to even believe that it is real. Listen to what happened and and then help me welcome this incredible mother to our show. So my guest today is named Polly Franks. And Polly has lived through every parent's worst nightmare. In 1995, she learned that two of her daughters, who were ages eight and nine at the time, had been attacked by a trusted neighbor and family friend. And we talk all the time about how the predator in these stories is oftentimes somebody we know and somebody we trust. And that's what happened in this case. This friend that Polly trusted turned out to be a convicted serial predator from the state of Texas. He had been known years earlier as San Antonio's ski mask rapist. And by his own defense attorney's admission, he had committed over 200 sexual assaults on women and little girls. And instead of going to prison, he was placed on probation, put back out into the community, and he underwent some sort of a treatment um, that that at Johns Hopkins called chemical castration, something we've all we've all heard about, but but don't know too much about. And so he's not in prison. He's back out on the streets and he gets to surprise, surprise, monitor himself. And so instead of being punished, he moves into Polly's neighborhood, one block away from the local elementary school. And he quickly, as we know, continues to do what he has become so good at, which is harming children. He becomes known to police in this new community as the Bandana Bandit and was linked to at least 86 more innocent victims, mostly children in the Richmond area. So now two times um, this person is released back out into society and allowed to monitor himself again. And so Polly says that's not justice. And she decides to do something about it. And today she's going to tell us what she did and how this story ends. And as we always talk about this show on this show, we seek to inspire you. We seek to inform you. And today Polly's going to give you just that. This is a month 
mom who has used this horrific story for change. She's done so many news shows, so many interviews. She's been out there pounding the pavement um, in order to, to ensure that something horrific like this never happens again. And so we're going to talk to Polly about what happened in this story and how she is leaving the world better off than how she found it. Polly Franks, welcome to Bar Fights. Thank you. I love it. I am so freaking happy to have you here. Um, Polly is one of those mamas who is a badass, who um, has literally taken something horrific and, and done something about it. So Polly, I left off in the story where this guy is back out in the community for the second freaking time, released back out into society to harm more kids. And you say to yourself, that is not going to happen on my watch. What did you do? Where do you even start? And, and also, I'm so sorry that this happened to you because you guys never should have even met this person had the justice system worked. Is that correct? Yes, this was just prior to the passage of Megan's law. So we had no way of knowing. Um, and you certainly cannot tell by looking at them, as I'm sure you, as I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what do you do after this happens to your family and he, he gets well, put back out? What happens? Well, they gave him a suspended sentence, which, as I'm sure you know, for a hardened criminal is nothing, is, you know, not even a tap on the wrist. I was so infuriated, but I was promised by our by our prosecutor and by the police, both le- both women, by the way, um, that he was going to be, in their words, watched like a hawk. Well, that was a load of bull. Yeah. Uh, my neighbor my neighbor was seeing him in our yard in the middle of the night. So I call the police, and then they say, get back with me, and they say, well, we talked to him, and he says he didn't do it. Like, like that's the end of it. And I'm like, you're taking his word? Um, so it that went on for th- three years, from 95 oh. to 98. Uh, he was out there, and it was just, I was so angry the day they gave him the suspended sentence. It's a miracle, Sarah, that I did not have a stroke. That's yeah. how mad I was. Yeah. Um, I was just so livid. And I realized very quickly that I was in a twofold battle. One with him, with a predator. And surprisingly, the other battle was with law enforcement, some politicians, and even some relatives yeah. of mine. And it, opposition, I had no idea. I was naive enough to think that I would never have to deal with. Um, so it was, it was a battle. And so I... I knew, okay, I'll never pass a physical to be a cop, so I decided to become a licensed private investigator and just go after it myself oh. and you know, l- learn what I could do uh, within the law. And Because uh, uh, i got to tell you, my, my husband was ready to, to just shoot him and be done with it. Um, <laughs> you know, so anyway, it, it, it took a long time. Um, there were so many times when I just thought we're never going to get justice and the bad guy is winning, and it just seemed... There were t- times where, like, why am I even doing this? But then not doing it wasn't even an option. Yeah, because you're a mom and your kids got hurt, right? And moms can lift cars off of babies when they need to. And so your version of that was becoming a licensed private investigator for the sole purpose of bringing this animal to justice. And so what happened? You become an investigator and what happens? Well, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book Devil at My Door, because I wanted to help the readers learn how to become their own private investigators. And I go into 
what I was taught about doing surveillance without getting caught and what you can do within the law um, and ways of tracking and that kind of thing. So it was it was a extreme learning curve for me. It was a whole world I knew nothing about. And so it, it took a very, very long time. Um, it seemed like it was, we were never going to get justice, and I wasn't getting – I was getting nowhere with law enforcement at all, which just shocked me. I was so naive, but it shocked me. Um, so anyway, it took – it took three years, and um, as, as sometimes it happens, when, when I was least expecting it, I got a call, and they told me, um, actually, I received a call from his former wife, who said that uh, Joe had been arrested. And I was like, well, thank goodness, but then she says, oh, and they've, they've let him bail out. Um, so I'm like, oh, of course they did. Um, and our local county police, when they let this guy go, uh, when, when they let him post bail, they did not take uh, the name or phone number of anybody who was taking responsibility for him. Mm-hmm. I've never had to post bail, but I've, from what I understand, you have to um, have somebody there to um, basically guarantee you're going to come back. They they didn't have that, and the police were calling around wanting to know where he was, and I was just ready to just split a blood vessel at that point because I'm like, mm-hmm. what does he have to do? Yeah, who have to murder in the middle of the streets in order to get somebody to take this seriously? Yep. So, anyway, finally, um, when he had assaulted my children, they did not. That they knew at the time that he had a long history, which they did not deign to share with us. But they also they did not test him for any DNA. If they had, he would have been off the streets in 1995. One DNA test would have linked him to the sexual assault of a five-year-old girl about half a mile from my house. Mm. But they they didn't do it. Don't ask me why. They did Mm -hmm. not do it. Uh, So the the victims pile up. Um, And he was the uh, uh, husband of one of my best friends who had been a psychiatric nurse, who was a psychiatric nurse at the time. And I found out three years later that that's how they met. She met him at the sexual offender treatment facility. Mm-hmm. And so she knew from day one about his past. Um, obviously, another piece of information she did not share with us until mm-hmm. uh, till it's way too late, um, which was just a, that was a double whammy as far as betrayal goes. Um, so anyway, uh, it took three years, and finally... Finally, he gets arrested for trying to break into a home with that has a child in there. And once they finally revoked his bail, once they figured out where he actually was, um, it, as you know, the, the court system does not move quickly. It was like agonizing waiting, and he had had so many extra chances, so many, so many second chances. I was not optimistic at all, um, but it. Finally, he got he got jail time, and they it was the DNA, and I should just say thank God for DNA technology because mm-hmm. um, he couldn't talk his way out of that. But it took forever, and it was my oldest daughter who was then a teenager in in high school, and she went with me, and um, so that I could just you know show her. I hate to use the word closure, but show her some conclusion to the story. Yeah, at least yeah. in part. So he gets life without parole plus 60 years. 
so I'm basically, you know, hooping and hollering and thanking God and everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it opened a lot of doors for me. I was, before this happened, I never wanted to even give an oral report in school. I did not want to do be a public speaker. I hated mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's the last thing I ever aspired to do. Um, but doors were opening for me, and I met other crime victims and crime victim advocates who, frankly, are some of the best people in this world. And yes. that was that was a wonderful blessing for me. Um, it, they they showed me, you know, they survived through worse things than what I had been through, and so it allowed me also to work on some some um, getting some laws passed. And so I was involved in the nationwide Amber Alert bill. I went to Capitol Hill with that, and also the Adam Walsh Child Protection Act on on a nation nationwide basis. Right now, I'm working on. Um, my state, Virginia's geriatric consideration bill, mm. which lets predators out, no matter what they've done, they are up for parole uh, from from the age of sixty because they're considered geriatric. Mm. You know, as, as you know, some people are not safe at any age. I don't care if he's ninety. Uh, oh, I mean. Just- Exactly right. And once a predator, always a predator, I hate to say. Um, But somebody who abused 286 children that we know of could have been put back out on the streets at 61 years old. Right. Right. And and I'm I'm sure you know who John Walsh is. Um, Yes. um, John said, you know, you look at this number. 286 and you can easily put one or two zeros behind it as far as this guy's victims. Amen. Um, because it's, it is such an underreported crime, as I'm sure you know. Yes. Uh, so, And he was a truck driver who had routes all over the country. So I really do believe he has victims from sea to shining sea. Yep. Um, and was just, when he was left to monitor himself, once I started doing digging on this case, his psychiatrist released him from the program, pitiful as it was, that little program, um, <clears throat> and told him to report by mail if he had any problems. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay, this, guy, this guy's got a PhD and an MD, and he's leaving a what he knows to be a serial rapist to monitor himself. And if the results weren't so horrific, it would almost be funny. Um, it's like send, send us a postcard if you rape anybody, basically. Yep. yep. And I, I was just, my, I, I could not believe the stupidity of, of some people who were, frankly, far better educated than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, what I felt was no-brainer, common-sense things. Hello, you don't let a, a rapist loose or leave them to, to monitor themselves. But that's what happened. And it was, he had been allowed to move right into my neighborhood, right next to it, real close to an elementary school. Um, and he was friendly. He was kind of soft-spoken. Um, he had two beautiful little kids and had a nice home. There was nothing that I would have seen at that time as a red flag at all yes. until it happened. Yeah. And it was just incredible. The police, the day we were in court, um, the police told me that he had been convicted of rape in another southern state, and they wanted to watch him. Well, I was just then even more thunderstruck because I didn't know just to what level he really was. Um, and then, interesting, three years later, when he gets arrested again, the Washington Post picks this story up, and they discover that, oh, yeah, by the way, Richmond's bandana bandit used to be this ski mask rapist of San Antonio. 
And it was amazing how police officers and prosecutors got his instant case of selective amnesia. Yes. They they did not remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it was just like, Mike, whose side are you on? So anyway, it, it took a long time. It took a lot out of us as a family. Uh, oh, I can't I even to, imagine. I can't even imagine. I wanted to make sure that to tell people was two things I told my kids was, first of all, most men are not like this. You know, think of the men who in your life, your grandfathers, your uncles, people who love you. I did not want them to grow up fearing or resenting men. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, and most importantly, was this is absolutely not your fault. You did not do anything to provoke this. And he is what he is, um, regardless of of what you were wearing or what you were doing. Besides, these kids were in elementary school at the time. I mean, yeah, good. it was not so, their fault. Right. And so I wanted them to absolutely make sure that they understood that. And so we were very fortunate in that. Um, and they've gone on to have productive lives and happy lives, which I'm very thankful for. But I was just overwhelmed by just how much opposition I would get from people who were supposed to be on our side. Yes. And I, and I wish I could say, Polly, that that surprises me though. Here it is 2021 and we still come up against some of these issues, namely that when people in positions of authority, and again, there are wonderful people out there. um, But in my cases where I see things go terribly wrong, people in positions of authority who are charged with doing their jobs and protecting children choose to either look the other way or move the predator around, or in this case, allow the predator to move himself around um, when they put him back out into the community. Something you said that I talk a lot about on this show, this concept of a good guy predator. This is a neighbor of yours who's married. He has two daughters. He's holding down a job. He's living in suburban Richmond. You mentioned he had, you know, somewhat of a nice house. He has left a particular state because he was called the ski mask rapist. Um, he's right. raped tons of people. Authorities know, and he's allowed to move to a new state and set up camp all over again. The other thing that's striking about this case, which is is sick, is that he was allowed to get this this chemical castration um, treatment. And in, in one interview, I think it was the Washington Post, his attorney said that he's not a bad guy. Yeah, he's done some terrible things, but this is a guy with a glandular problem. He has something right. wrong with his body. And, and somehow that was a decent enough explanation so that your kids then had to meet him and be harmed by him and all of these other children were then harmed. Um, right. That's what, what, crazy. What is, wrong, <laughs> what is wrong with his body is that it's still breathing and above ground. Yes, um, amen. Okay. Amen. Um, His lawyer went on to, and this was years and years ago, his lawyer went on to um, uh, 60 Minutes and said, uh, was defending him, of course, and saying, this really was just a mild rape. He was talking about uh, the assault in San Antonio. Yeah, because there's different different kinds of rapes, right? There's mild, medium, severe. Yeah, fucking right. (laughs) You know? 
Absolutely. I mean, it was. I just thought it would have been worth the cost of a ticket just to get down to San Diego to slap that guy's face. I didn't do oh it. Oh my gosh! Um, but it was like such an insult. Yes. Um, and it yes. was just. I I could not believe. And, and in Texas, when he was convicted and then given this lame excuse for a sentence, they moved him to a, another place for his protection. Sarah, his mm-hmm. protection. Mm-hmm. We got to make sure nobody hurts Joe. Hmm. Yes, and and let's say his name on the air, Joseph Frank Smith. And if you guys Google this, you're going to find articles in the Washington Post, the New York Times. This story has been everywhere. And so Polly, after having her superhuman wherewithal to go change the laws, literally, um, to, to protect victims. She works in victims' rights, as she mentioned. She wrote a book about this. And the book is called Devil at My Door, A Woman's Triumph Over One of America's Most Prolific Sexual Predators. And I encourage everybody to go on Amazon, order this book, um, because it's a, a inside look at the American criminal justice system and how it failed. And we keep saying 286. It definitely failed that number of children, but we always know where there's 286, there's 200, you know, 28,000 more, um, as this guy was able to be free and, and move around the country. Polly, what would you say it was about what was in you to, to be so resilient, to be able to, not just be a victim of this, but to take what happened to your family and, and change, change laws, write about it. What is it in you that allowed you to keep going and to have the strength to do everything that you've done since this happened? Well, this may not be the most politically correct answer, but it was rage. I was of course enraged at him. I was enraged at everybody who had enabled him from his own family to our our paid public servants. Um, And I was just really, we were on our own. I had no idea going into into that that we were going to be so on our own and not receiving protection at all. So I was one angry lady. I'm not going (laughs) to... Yeah, she was a mom who was pissed off, guys. (laughs) Don't underestimate the power of a pissed off mother, (laughs) right? Absolutely. You know, there are a few Uh, things in this world more dangerous than an angry and frightened mother, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it just, at the time, it was just like baby steps. I never anticipated, you know, doing anything with media or whatever. But the story broke out in 98. And so the Washington Post was calling Dateline 2020. All of these were had picked up the story, and, you know, my first reaction was, no, 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 I don't want to do that. But when I, when I changed my mind and realized I might help somebody, I kind of found my voice. And yeah. I, I was in my 30s, but at that point, that's when I kind of found my calling in yeah. life. Uh, up to yeah. that point, I j- just had jobs, but this was like a, a mission, a quest. And I knew, and knew going in, this was going to be something I would be doing to the to my dying day because the job is never done, as I'm sure you understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and some uh, some doors opened. I got to meet some wonderful people. Got to meet some crazy, not so wonderful people. Um, but it became became a, a lesson. And one thing I wanted to make sure that that um, your audience does 
aside from ordering Devil at My Door on Amazon, mm-hmm. um, is look, look up familywatchdog.us. Check. That's a nationwide sex offender registry. And find out who's in your neighborhood or who's in, your, who's in grandma's neighborhood, who's in the babysitter's neighborhood. Um, don't assume that just because they're not supposed to live near a school that they don't because quite often they do. Mm-hmm. And there's too many of them and not enough law enforcement to really keep these laws uh, in check, yep. I'm sorry to say. Um, but find that out. Um, it, this is information I would have given anything in the world to have had access to. Um, you don't want to find out the way my family and I found out yep. um, after the fact when it's, it's just shattering and you feel like, okay, I thought I was the most protective mother in the world, and yet this is what happens. Um, we had known this guy for years, and he I was so enraged because he snuck right in underneath my radar. Yeah. I used to consider my BS meter to be very sharp, yes. and yet this guy slipped right under it, and I did not see it until after the fact. Um, so a, a lot of and And that's, I think, Polly, in, in you know, I've seen this all too often that it is the one we trust who does sneak in under our radar because you are a smart woman. I'm a smart woman, right? My mom was a smart woman, but that's how these people get away with doing this to so many people for so many years is that they're really, really good at what they do. So you guys, familywatchdog.us. I just went on this as we speak, and I just learned that there's a predator living about a half a mile away from me, right? And it has his photo. It has his address. I cannot encourage you guys enough to go on this website and educate yourself about who is living in your community that we should know about. Um, Obviously, there are some living in our communities that, that haven't been caught, haven't been reported, um, but this, this is something that every single person listening can go do right now. Absolutely. I, I tell this people like when school starts before trick or treating and at Halloween, before anything, when you, when you buy a new house, um, find out because like I said, we would, it would have been made 100% of difference if we could have somehow found out. Um, quite often I'm asked, well, what do you do if you find one? And I tell people, don't harass this person. Don't break any laws yourself. But at the same time, keep your eyes open. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, I, I you know, kind of use the example of if you have a rattlesnake that you see in the yard, okay, don't pick a fight with it, but don't let it in the house. Mm. That is so good. Um, and, and keep your children away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't become part of the problem. Don't become a criminal yourself. But know who you're dealing with. Um, that is 100% battle. And one thing that I learned when, when my, my story was originally put out in uh, Good Housekeeping magazine, I had people I had known for decades, Sarah, who were telling me their stories that I had no idea that they yes. had been abused children. No idea. Um, I had people walking up to me in the grocery store. I had one woman walk up to me in the freezer section and was began crying and telling me about her grandfather. Mm-hmm. I was just stunned that it was so 
much out there with people I had known for decades who never shared that with anybody. Yeah. We're we're telling me. Yeah. And and we talk a lot about on this show about the average age of disclosing child sex abuse is 52 because we do carry it and we do have the shame or, you know, the feel the sense of feeling alone or the confusion about what happened to us as a kid that keeps us from sharing. But all it takes is, is that one voice or I think, you know, these days, um, you know, all of our survivor voices that allow people, you know, to, to come forward. How do you think this would have been different, Polly, had this happened sort of post Me Too era? Do you think this would have gone down differently? I'd like to think so, because, well, now we have more information. We have technology is better. Mm-hmm. Um we can get the word out on social media. We can do so many uh, so many things. I mean, I think we will always have predators as long as we have people. Um, we will always have to keep an eye out and not let our guard down. But I do think um, today things are better as far as being able to access information mm-hmm. and also to communicate with, with friends and people around you. Um, you can get these things out there. And it's to me that technology is a godsend. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm literally staring at the face of the person in my community um, who is a level two offender. And I, you know, I can see where he lives and I have the knowledge now. Right. And that's something that technology, that technology gives us. And then also I hope that, you know, in the last several years, the stigma around speaking out about this stuff um, is starting to dissipate at least a little bit. But Polly, you, you were speaking out about this before any of us came along. And I give you all the credit in the world for, for doing that and, and for being that voice. Do you have any final advice for parents listening to this show about, you know, how, how to move forward, even if it doesn't have to do with abuse, but just the way parents need to be showing up in the world to, to be the very best we can be for our kids? Well, I'd say listen to your kids. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many people have emailed me every time I did a media appearance or whatever saying, I told my mom that her boyfriend was doing this and that and the other, but she wouldn't listen. She wouldn't believe me. Believe your kids. Listen to your kids. At the very least, investigate what's going on. Um, quite often, these are very inconvenient truths to, to find out yeah. about, you know, grandpa or the preacher or the priest or mom's boyfriend or who Uncle Dave or whatever. But listen to your kids, believe your kids. And if you make a mistake, it's better to make a mistake in protection of your children than it is to ignore your children when they need you the most. Amen. Amen. You guys, Polly Franks, her book is Devil at My Door. You can get it on Amazon. It's a fabulous read. And it's such an inspiration to see a mom who who took things into her own hands. Again, this is a mother who became a private investigator when she was failed by the system. That is the power of a mother's love and a mother's strength. Polly, thank you so much for being on our show today. Well, thank you so much.
Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.